Amen? Amen. Okay, so get your Bibles open, get out your smartphones, your tablets, all those types of things. We're finishing chapter 5 of Luke, which I think officially puts us on the five-year plan. So that's exciting. <coughs> I get it. But we're doing six verses today. I, I know, we're, we're, we're going pretty, pretty fast today, getting a little crazy. Hang on, yeah, hang on. It's so funny. I'm doing six verses, and I totally ran out of time. I was putting this together, so we cut a bunch of stuff. But I know that you'll stop coming if I just go literally verse by verse, Sunday by Sunday. So we're doing six a Sunday. Here it is, verse 33, Luke 5. They said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray. So do the disciples of the Pharisees. They fast and pray. But yours, Jesus, what do they do? They go on eating and drinking. So John's disciples are fasting and praying. Pharisees' disciples are fasting and praying. But yours, Jesus, your guys, they're always having a party. Right? They're always feasting. They're eating. They're drinking. William Barclay describes this fasting that would take place in Jesus' culture. It was twice a week, Mondays and Thursdays. He says that they would often whiten their faces when they were fasting. Why would they do that? Because they want everyone around them to really notice, right, how righteous and pious they are with their whitened faces fasting. And don't you know, Jesus, he wasn't against fasting, but I think he did have a problem with how the religious leaders fasted. Does that make sense, right? He wasn't against fasting, but he was kind of against the way they were doing it. In fact, we know this because Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 6. He says, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. They disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But you, when you fast, you know what you should do? Take a shower, right? (laughs) Put on oil on your head. Wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but Obvious to who? But only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret, He will reward you. And so as Christians, we follow these instructions of Jesus. Even now when we fast, like we did at the beginning of the year. Uh, Remember the 40-day prayer and fasting that we did? Uh, During that time, you want to make sure you're taking your showers, right? You want to clean, you know, shave your beard. You want to do it with a smile on your face. You want to do it full of the joy of the Lord. In fact, I'm not even going to say who it was, but there was someone who did not eat for 40 days at this church. 40 days. I'd never, I mean, I'd heard stories like that, but I'd never seen it with my own eyes. And yet this person was always bright and cheery, came in full of the Lord, the joy of the Lord. And that's, right, that's what we should do. It's why, because are we doing it for everyone else? Am I doing it so that you notice my fasting? No, I am fasting, it's between me and God. So, and again, Jesus isn't against fasting, but at the same time, he also goes on to explain in this passage why his disciples are not fasting. And I want to go a little deeper into that because see what's happening in this scene uh, there's something very important for us to catch who jesus is and what he is doing what he is bringing into this world it is beginning to clash with these religious people what they have been doing And, and and through these past couple of chapters we're beginning to discover that who jesus is and what jesus is bringing it is not mixing with the current reality, the spiritual reality, the spiritual climate of first century Judea. Who he is and what he is bringing is beginning to clash with the system that these people are living under. And so they're bothered, right? And they're complaining about Jesus, about his disciples, about you know, not fasting. And then this is what he says in verse 34. Follow with me. He says, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? 
Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? Now a time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days they will fast. Jesus. Bridegroom. Jesus is the bridegroom. I love that he uses this imagery of him being the bridegroom. I, I think it's a great way to answer this whole discussion on fasting because he says, can you make the friends of a bridegroom fast while he is with them? It's so good because have you ever been to a wedding before? Have you ever seen like a video of a Jewish wedding? Fasting and mourning would be absurd at a wedding. Absurd, at a, ridiculous at a wedding. Fasting Wedding, what are weddings for? Weddings are a feast. Weddings are a party. Weddings are for joy, for eating and drinking. Fasting would be highly inappropriate. Highly inappropriate. In fact, if the groom saw you fasting, don't you think the groom might be a tad bit offended that you're not partaking in the feast? And he calls his disciples friends of the bridegroom. I'm not going to make my friends fast and mourn. He says there will be a time for fasting, but not today. Not today. All of this, by the way, could very well be tied to the feast that Mary talked about. She talked, remember, uh, who, who held a feast in Jesus' honor? Remember the guy's name? Matthew or Levi, right? Levi, he follows Jesus and then he holds this big uh, feast, right? This party with Jesus as the guest of honor. And we don't know for sure, but, but there's a good chance that that's why this whole fasting issue even came up. Is they're, they're noticing that they're, they're partying, they're eating, they're drinking, and, and Jesus is letting these religious leaders know, know that the bridegroom is here. Fasting is not the appropriate response. My disciples should be actually eating, drinking, celebrating. For us today, we can see that our king has come. They're recognizing, right? They're opening their eyes to, to see that he has come. Messiah has come. Our Savior has come. Our Deliverer has come. It's contrasting. It's clashing. It's not mixing well the action of his disciples with the action of these religious leaders. I don't want you to miss this. Jesus, his words are so powerful here. He's speaking directly against the way that these religious leaders are living their lives. In a way, he's almost saying, if, if you knew who was really standing before you. Right? If you, if you actually recognize who was in front of you, you would not be fasting. You'd be celebrating that I'm here. The one who came to deliver you. The one who came to save you, to rescue, to set you free. You wouldn't be fasting. You'd be feasting. And yet, even in their questioning of Jesus, it shows that they do not understand who Jesus is. Or even more dangerous, that maybe they do understand who he is, but they have rejected who he is. Right? There's no room for Jesus. He's not fitting into their religious system. He isn't fitting into their customs. He isn't fitting into their culture. And isn't that still true today, church? Jesus, who Jesus is, he doesn't quite fit in, does he? He doesn't quite fit into our culture, into our systems. He, he clashes with a lot of our religion, a lot of our culture, our customs. He clashes. He clashes with our modern views of sexuality. He clashes with our modern views on gender, on marriage, on the sanctity, the value of human life. Our culture, it just struggles with Jesus and his view on these things. But again, this isn't anything new. Christians, you don't have to live in fear and terror and all those types of things that sometimes I see on social media. You should not be surprised. People struggled with Jesus and his teaching from the very beginning. They struggled so much they killed Jesus. His teaching, his ways, they became a dividing line. You either went 
toward him and forward into this new way of living with Jesus. Where maybe you'd even break with society's customs. Where even if everyone else was fasting, everyone else was fasting, you'd say, no, today I'm not following the ways of this world. I'm following Jesus. Or you reject Jesus. And you keep living the way that you've always lived in your familiar and comfortable way. But it's so important. You cannot have both. You cannot have. It is either one or the other. And yet, have you noticed how people in our culture want both? Oh, how we want both. Right? We want the new things of Jesus. We want the new things of his kingdom. But we also want to continue in the old patterns of this world. Right? Have you noticed that? We try so hard to make it all work. Christians get caught up in this all the time. I've been seeing this on social media where you're trying really hard to follow Jesus. You're you're trying to follow his teachings, his commands, his ways. But then you also accept and you embrace parts of the culture and the society that are a part or actually are not a part of his kingdom. In fact, I hear this language from Christians. It's almost where it, it, it sounds it sounds like you agree with the lie that all religions are valid because don't you know they all lead to the same God anyway? Or the lie that says, you know, just as long as you're doing what makes you happy. That's the most important thing. I hear this from my brothers and sisters in Christ. Or or don't you know, I hear this one too. Don't you know God is a God of love? And if you love people, then you would want people to do what makes them happy. And and somehow we we work out this logic in our heads again. Because we want both. And so we work it out and we declare it as truth that you can have both. But I just see it in this scene. Jesus walks into a system. Again, it's a different system than ours. But it's similar in this way. It's similar in that it's a culture that thought they had all figured it out. Right? That they had the answers. They had the rules. They had the regulations. They had the policies. They thought they had figured out when they are grossly missing the point of it all. They're consumed by this issue of fasting. In fact, they're making fasting the issue where all along, I mean, let's be honest, all along, what was even the point of their fasting? What is the point of fasting? The beauty, the, the power of fasting is that you humble yourself before the Lord, right? You put yourself in a, in a posture of true repentance and mourning and, and placing yourself before your maker. It's a posture. It's a position ready to receive from him, ready to receive his word, ready to receive his instruction in your life. To receive from the Lord. And yet, in this scene, the Lord is standing right in front of them. Right? The one who is the goal of their fasting, and yet they are so misguided, they're so blind, that they're still making it about this religious exercise of fasting, when God the Son is standing right in front of their eyes. Then he begins to teach them something, and I, I thought it was powerful this week as I was studying through this word. Something many of them, by the way, would not understand. And yet it's so important to who Jesus was and what he offered them, what he offers us today. So let's go through this. He gives them some illustrations. Verse 36, he he tells them a parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment. And then that patch from the new, it will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, that new wine, it's going to burst the skins. The wine's going to run out and the wineskins, they're going to be ruined. No, you know what you have to do with new wine? New wine must be poured into New wineskins. And by the way, no one, after drinking old wine, wants the new. They're going to say, no, the old is better. So what is he saying? Well, actually, I don't even have time to tell you everything that he's saying. But one thing definitely I want to point out is 
that this world system that he's walking into, this culture, this society, it is broken. It's, it's messed up. And some of the stuff of the system it, it, that he walks into, it kind of looks good, right? kind of maybe on the outside. But the deeper you dig, the more you investigate, you realize it's very corrupt and it's very broken. In fact, in another part of the Bible, he calls the religious leaders, he says that they are whitewashed tombs. Remember that part? Whitewashed tombs. Hey, kind of looking good on the outside, but what is, what, what is he saying? He goes, you're whitewashed tombs, looking good on the outside, but full of dead men's bones. So now he begins to teach, he begins to show them that he is coming into this culture, this society that has lost its way, but he's coming in with something new. Thank you, Jesus. He says, it's a new garment, a new wineskin, a new wine for them and for us. Something new. And and life spring, it's vitally important today on a Sunday morning that you and I, we embrace the newness that Jesus brings. Are you, am I, embracing the newness of Christ? The new way of living with Christ, or are we just trying to fit him into our old systems? Or are we just trying to fit him into our old systems? And we know many people back then, many people today, will not embrace this new thing, will not embrace this new covenant of his grace. And yet this is so serious, because the only answer to their culture, to their society, the only answer, by the way, church newsflash, for our culture, our society, is the full embrace of the newness that comes from following Christ. He was the answer then, he's still the answer today. Do you believe that? It reminds me, again, of our current American society with all these laws that are passed. And and I'm thankful for our country. I'm thankful we live in a country that has laws. You can look around the world and see some of the chaos. And I'm thankful for the laws and the laws that we abide by. But let's be honest. From a Jesus follower perspective, many of the laws are just trying to fix or correct previous laws. And so it's a band-aid on top of a band-aid. And maybe you don't like one of the band-aids. So what do you do? You pull off that band-aid, but then you just put on a new band-aid. When the whole time Jesus would say, you don't need another band-aid. In fact, how's that working for you? What you need is Jesus. What you need is the healer. What you need is the restorer. You need Jesus to come in and radically change the entire system. Right? And by the way, this is what Jesus does. Do you know how I know that? Because this is what he did in me. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Without Christ, I mean, think about it. I mean, just think about your own life. Without Christ, I can try to put on that little band-aid that makes me a nicer person. Right? Put on that band-aid that keeps me from looking lustfully at another woman. Or put on a little band-aid that makes me come to church and try really hard and kind of try to serve Christ and try to serve the church or try to serve my community. There's just these band-aids. And temporarily, have you noticed, they're kind of effective temporarily. But long-term, they are so ineffective. Church, I didn't need a band-aid. What I needed was someone who could take my cold, rebellious heart of stone and instead place in there a soft, pliable, moldable heart of flesh. I needed someone who could breathe into my dead body that was dying in sin and make it new. Church, I needed complete restoration. I accidentally, and this was so dangerous, found myself on the HGTV channel the other day. What a waste of time, and it just sucks you in. I was watching this show. I've never seen it before in my life. It was called Flip. Or flop. But what a mess that I just started watching. I'm like, oh, well, the house sell. I wonder. Oh, I think they're pricing it too high. Like, what? I'm wasting my time. 
But church, unlike that show, I didn't need a remodel. I didn't need an updated kitchen or the bathroom vanity. i got to be honest, the new tile was a great color scheme. But I didn't need a new vanity. I needed a supernatural, transformational experience where the old would be gone and the new would come. I needed to be born again where the old Dan would die and the new Dan would come to life. And that's what Jesus did for me. He didn't give me a band-aid church. He gave me a new name. He didn't give me a band-aid church. He gave me a new story, a new family, a new life. In fact, this is how Paul talks about it. I love it. He says, for we died. Everyone say died. We died and we're buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live. Everyone say live. live. We live new lives. I died. I was buried with Christ. But as he rose and as he is alive, I am alive. I'm living a new life. The ESV, I love the way it says, it says we are now walking in the newness of life. Isn't that a great imagery? Just think about that. In Christ, I am walking in the newness of life. And that's what he brought to this scene, the the scene in Luke chapter 5. He brings to these people an opportunity, the privilege, the honor of walking in the newness of true abundant life with him. And and abundant life, that's what he came to bring, right? John 10.10, we all know it. John 10, 10, I came that what? That you might have life and have it to the full, have it abundantly. The newness of life in Christ. And so here he is. He begins to walk through these illustrations to make the point that they need something new. And he he highlights that the new thing he's bringing, that it just doesn't mix. It just doesn't mix with what you've been doing. The the old way isn't going to work. The, the gospel, the, the good news, and what it brings, it's a new way of living. In fact, he says it this way. He goes, no one puts a piece and tears it out of a new garment to patch the old. No, no, no. Otherwise, you know, you're going to have torn a new garment, right? You ruin that one. But then that patch from the new, it's, it's not going to match the old. Church, you can't just take some of this new of Jesus and newness of Jesus and, and mix it with the old. It doesn't work. And yet I see this all the time. I even see it in my own, my own self. How many times are we still trying to fix and patch old clothes? Anybody else? Church, if we're still trying to wear old clothes or patch old clothes of who you were and how you lived before Christ, that old way of living, may the fire of the Holy Spirit consume it all right now in the name of Jesus. Your old clothes don't even fit anymore. And they're outdated, by the way. Things have changed. It's not who you are any longer. Get rid of them. It's a new thing, church. If, if you've tried to get rid of them in the past and they just keep on showing up in your closet, I'll just say right now, right now, ask Jesus to get rid of them. Be a fighter, right? Be stubborn about it. Do not give up. Do not back down. It is worth the fight. Cry out to Jesus. Consuming fire of God. Burn that which is not of you. Hallelujah. Church, put on a new garment. It's better. Verse 37. No one pours new wine into old wineskins. I love what Pastor Wayne said earlier. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. What's going to happen to that wine, church? The wine's going to, it's going to run out. The wine skins are going to be ruined. New wine. New wine. Freshly crushed grapes. Ready for that fermentation process to begin. Or right at the beginning stages of the fermentation process. But you, you cannot put that, those crushed grapes and the 
those that are ready for this fermentation process. You can't put that into old wineskins because old wineskins, they've been used, right? They're, they're rigid. They're inflexible. They, they're no longer soft. They're no longer malleable. And, and as that fermentation process continues, and all of you guys took science class, right? And, and as that expansion uh, begins to happen, guess what's going to happen to that old wineskin that's rigid and, and un, unflexible? That, that thing is going to rupture, right? It's going to crack at the seams, and you're going to have a mess. That wine is going to run out all over the place. And yet so many people, so many people trying to live this way, where, where you pour the newness of walking with Christ, the newness, I mean the freshness, the vitality, the adventure of walking with Jesus, and then trying to just kind of add that to your old way of living. You ever try that before? Right? You just kind of add Jesus to your old life? I think that was several years of my Christianity, just kind of adding Jesus to my old life. So no repentance, right? No surrender, no radical change, no radical transformation, just kind of adding Jesus, right? Hey, I got a new spice to the spice rack. Praise the Lord. I used to say this all the time. You just add Jesus, put him in your pocket and remain the same. How many people have tried to do that? Oh, no, try a little bit of Jesus. And yet nothing has changed. I feel like that's what we're doing in our culture just a little bit. Let me explain it. That we're, we're trying to maybe add some of Jesus' instructions. Because he has some good instructions. So let's add some, um, especially those instructions on love. So we'll add a little bit of Jesus' instructions on love. And then some principles on how to treat your neighbor. I mean, because that's good. We all have neighbors. So we'll add a little bit of Jesus there. And some of those more, more moral learning lessons, right? The morality of Jesus. Let's add some of the morality of Jesus. And, and so we're trying to fit all of that. Picking and choosing, by the way. But just kind of kind of getting that to fit into our culture that is so broken church it will never work that is a disaster waiting to happen it will burst and there will be wine all over the place see no new wine he says where must it be poured it must be poured into new wineskins the vessel that the wine of his spirit is poured into it must be new again these pharisees these other religious leaders they're trying to keep the old wineskins going you ever try to keep the old wineskins going like just got to get a little bit more use out of this old thing but you just need to hear this church for your own life jesus is never going to sit well the holy spirit is never going to rest well in your old way of living in your old vessel it is going to be a very uneasy feeling again have you tried to add jesus before to your old way of living i can actually tell you what probably happened one, you probably began to feel like you were double-minded. Remember that? The duplicitous life, the, the, the double life that you began to live. And you probably became very confused when you kind of added Jesus but continued to live the way you'd always been living. You became confused. You're like, what is it like? How do I even live life? Why? Well, because you were trying to serve two masters. Does that make sense? You're trying to serve two masters. You probably felt confused. Maybe you even felt like you were living two separate lives, right? Like I kind of have this churchy Jesus life over here, but then I got this other life. So you probably were confused and double-minded. But here's the second thing that happened. You probably were just extremely miserable. (laughs) I'm speaking from experience on that one, church. I still dabble into this. I mean, I've had it so many times where you're just walking in the newness of Jesus and you're living by the power of the Holy Spirit, but then you're also kind of just trying to keep the old patterns and the old way of living and like my old life. Talk about bursting the wineskins. Because what happens when you add Jesus to that old way of living, there's something we call the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus, for the conviction of the Holy Spirit. 
But yet the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes, and what should happen? But instead of happening, what should happen? You get rid of the old wineskins, Jesus make me new, and you go into the new thing. But instead, we don't get rid of the old wineskin. We feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, but we keep on holding on to the old wineskin, and so we're miserable. You ever felt that misery before? Anyone else besides me? Just that stubbornness that says, I'm not giving this up. And he's like, well, you need to give it up. Well, I'm not giving it up. Well, you need to give it up because I love you and I want you to have the things of Jesus. Well, I'm not giving it up. Well, I'm Holy Spirit and now I'm kind of like the Holy Ghost. I'm going to haunt you until you give it up. Now, it would be one thing if you allowed the conviction of the Holy Spirit to pull you out of that. He's always doing that, by the way. The Holy Spirit is always pointing you back to Jesus. Always. Out of the goodness of your Father, he is pointing you back to Jesus. And yet, so many times, that conviction that we feel, instead of it allowing us to change our position, as Mary preached about last week, to get us out of our seat, to leave the old, to walk into the new, many of us, instead, when we feel that conviction, we actually allow the accuser to turn conviction into shame and into guilt. And so what happens, we actually go deeper into that old way of living, and it only gets worse and worse and worse and worse, until finally, and some of you have been here before, some of you are about to be here, finally... In the pig pen, in the mess, finally, praise the Lord, you surrender. And you say, God, I'm miserable. I don't even know what I'm doing anymore. This isn't working. I need help. I need rescue. And it's from this place of brokenness, this place of surrender, we say, God, here I am. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. This whole old wineskin thing, man, it is not working. Make me new, God. I need to be born again. I'm tired of the band-aid. In fact, I don't want to ever see another band-aid. I need the fresh vitality and newness of walking with you. And then true freedom just rushes in. True freedom comes in that moment when you stop trying to put new wine and old wineskins and you experience life with a new garment and new wine. I want you to think about how this might apply to your own life. Where are you at with all of this? I, I just think the sooner that we admit that we need to let go some of our old ways, the sooner we're going to be able to live in that true freedom. Jesus did not come to just be a part of your life. He came to be your life. I want to say that again. Jesus did not come just to be a part of your life. He came to be your life. Jesus came to crucify your sinful self and teach you how to replace it with new life in him. We've placed a piece of paper on the seat in front of you. And would you just take time this morning to write down some of the areas where, where you just know, and this isn't about the person to your left or to your right, but you just know that there's old ways, old habits, old things of yourself that you need to fully surrender. You need to fully surrender, submit to the new thing that Jesus desires to do in you. And I want you to give it some thought. If you need a pen, raise your hand. Uh, the ushers will be passing out pens right now. But I, I want you to give this some thought. What are those things that I need to give to the Lord? And I want you to begin to write them down. For me, as a young man, I was very sarcastic. And oh, I thought I was funny. And most of you have heard this story, but I remember my brother Jeff told me, I was 21 at the time, he said, Dan, your sarcasm is affecting your witness as a Christian. Well, first I was highly offended, of course, by that comment. But he was right. He was completely right. And so before I went to the University of Wyoming with Jason Dre, who happens to be here today, But before we went to the university, it was awesome, church. By the power of God living within me, I was able to, praise the Lord, leave sarcasm back in Auburn, Washington. 
And so I went to the University of Wyoming. I went to Laramie, Wyoming, and it was beautiful. This still blows my mind what Jesus did in my life. I was able to start a new life where people would know me as someone who was kind, someone who was loving. Not that sarcastic bully jock that I, I just struggled with, but instead I could be someone that people could come to because they knew I was sincere. They knew I was someone that wouldn't tear you down with words. I was so good at making fun of people. In fact, I would walk the streets with my friends and i go, I can tell you everything that's wrong with every person here. That were, those were my words. And instead of tearing people down, I was able to build them up with the word of God. I'm so thankful for the work that Jesus did in my life. But I had to surrender that old way of living so that I could walk in the newness of life with him. Anybody else in this room needs something like that? Anybody else needs the Lord to do something like that in you? Amen. And if that's you, and, and again, I, I got my own stuff as well, but first I just say this. Stop trying to, you might even need to write this down. Stop trying to fit him into your current way of living. We just do that way too often. Trying to fit Jesus into our current way of living. Kind of like we're up here and Jesus is under here and Jesus is here to serve us. Compared to Jesus is up here and we're down here and we're here to serve him. Stop trying to fit him into your current way of living. There's certain things, like there's ways you're living, actions, there's thought patterns, there's words that you need to surrender, that you need to leave behind, that you would offer them to Jesus, you would place them at the foot of the cross, turn around and never pick them up again. Place them at the foot of the cross, turn around and never pick them up again. Again, get serious about this. New wine, new wineskins. Because here's the temptation, and he actually says it, verse 39, no one... After drinking old wine, once the new, for the say of the old is better. And that's so true. How often we go back to the old. Right? The old, well, it's familiar. It's, it's comfortable. It's, it's what I know. You ever done this before? Where your old ways of living, your old self, it was buried with Christ, hallelujah, but yet you found a shovel in your hand and you started trying to dig up what was buried with Christ. You ever start digging that stuff up? And it's a long list of things. Maybe it's old dreams that you had. Remember those old dreams that were a part of your old life? And you keep trying to dig up those old dreams. And yet, this is the thing. Look at you today. You don't need that old dream. Look at who you are in Christ right now. Look at what he is doing in you. The beautiful, good, powerful ways that he is using you. And yet you are still caught 20, 30 years ago trying to put new wine in old wineskins. I said this to a good friend of mine the other day. And I love him more than just about anybody else in this world. But I said, you know what you need to do? You need to take piece of paper write down all those old dreams all those old visions honor them celebrate them value that season in your life but then you probably need to have a ceremony where you burn them where you burn them because i got news for you church i got good news for you church god is doing something good in our town God is doing something new in our town. He's doing something new in this church. He's doing something new in our lives. We can no longer, this is deadly serious, we can no longer allow old wineskins and old wine to define our lives. Again, some, some of those things, they were good, like dreams and visions. But also some of it was just wicked. It was evil. The thing that that person did to you, no excuse for it. It was wrong. It was evil. It was wicked. Some of the things that you did to other people, it was wrong. It was evil. It was wicked. But yet you are somehow still allowing those things from your past to define you. They are defining you. They are accusing you. Life spring, good, bad, or ugly, they do not have to define you. Yes, they're a part of your story. But they are not the story. Your story is still being written, says the Lord. 
Come on, these chapters of your story that are yet to unfold, they are good. Because He is alive, you are alive. You are no longer dead in your sins. You are alive in Christ because He is alive. You no longer have to stay in the grave. You no longer have to bury things up from the grave. No, you and I can walk in the newness of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. 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 You know, here's the deal. I want to close with this. One of the great things we do here at LifeSpring is we financially sponsor a Bible-based counselor. His name is Keith Timmer. And because of our sponsorship and other churches like ours, his counseling is completely free to you. Free to you. I want to put his info up. There it is. If you would, wouldn't mind. Just if there's things from your past that you haven't dealt with, that are, that are keeping just trying to keep you having that shovel in your hand. You're trying to unbury them from the grave, good or bad. That you're allowing them to define your conversations, your interactions with people. You're allowing them to define the way you treat people, the way you respond to people. If you've allowed anything to define you other than Jesus Christ, would you take the bold step of meeting with him? And just write his number down. Maybe you're writing it down for a friend, a family member, a neighbor, maybe yourself. But I'll tell you, Mary and I, our marriage has been so blessed by his counseling. We, we've found healing for lots of wounds, uh, lots of just disappointments from our past. Found incredible freedom and healing through his ministry. And then if Keith doesn't work out for you, for the past seven years, I, I've had a policy that we would reimburse you for the first two counseling sessions. We believe in it that much. Just send me the receipt as long as it's in our budget. We, we will keep on doing this. Again, the first two sessions, wherever you go, we're going to pay for them. We honestly believe Jesus wants to do a new thing in you. And we want you to experience true freedom as you walk in the newness with Christ. I'm going to invite Ryan and the worship team to come on up at this time. And here's the deal. This is who Jesus is. He makes all things new. The old is gone. The new has come. We are a new creation in Christ. But we can't do this ourselves. This isn't a willpower thing. This is only a work that the Spirit of God can do, thanks to the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But if there's anything of the old man still trying to live in you, still trying to live in me, would we place it under the covenant, the new covenant of his grace? Would we place it under the new covenant, under his blood, the blood, Jesus, once again, just underneath the new covenant of his grace, that we could enjoy and pick up and wear the new garment, enjoy the new wine that he offers us today as ryan sings the song and we're going to put the words up on the screen would you take the bold step you sing it or not sing i I don't really care about that part but for some of you would you just take the bold step of placing whatever you wrote down on that card and would you place it at the foot of the cross would you place it right just right in here just you just come on up and you just boldly just like here you turn around And you'd never pick it up again in the name of Jesus.